Thank you for listening to the Competition Committee Podcast. Check out new podcasts every Thursday. If you know, you know. Welcome, everyone, to the Competition Committee, a sports podcast where we find ways to make our favorite sports more fun for the fans. I am your host, Parker, and joining me, as always, is JJ. In today's show, we will talk short guys in basketball, play a game called Three Rules and a Lie, talk the differences between NFL, XFL, and USFL rules, and we'll finish it off with some fun emails we got. Before we jump right in, I want to bring in our returning committee pundit for today's episode, a man who's been ejected countless times in meaningless softball games. He has suffered a pretty bad concussion playing soccer, and has a nasty case of the shanks in golf. None other than Mr. Campbell. How you doing, man? I'm good, man. I don't think I could ask for a better intro. That that uh, really just sums up my whole sports career in a nutshell. I was trying to think of some things that apply to your sports career. So, Yeah, that's it. You couldn't set it better. Excited to be back. I'm excited to talk sports, and uh, it'll be a good time. Yeah, well, uh, without further ado, let's talk some Short guys playing basketball. JJ, talk to us a little bit about this idea of having some height requirements, maybe? Yes, let's talk about it. Division I sports is really professional sports. The coaches make millions of dollars a year. The television contracts are worth hundreds of millions of dollars a year. And winning is everything. Division II and Division Three is much closer to amateur sports. The average American male is five foot nine inches tall. I think we should create an opportunity for the average American male to play college basketball. So here's the rule I'm going to propose. I propose that for Division II and Division III, each team must have one player under five foot nine on the floor at all times. What do you guys think? Under five foot nine? You know, at first... I was really concerned because I was thinking immediately NCAA, or, you know, the Division One and the professional level. And I'm thinking, well, basketball has kind of gotten to the point where it's positionless. But now I'm toning my thinking back to where you're thinking this is, you know, the lower divisions, competition's not as good. Having the small guy out there could be kind of funny. I'd be, I don't know. I think, um, I think it could bring a lot to the game. I think you could get some excitement from the game. I don't know if it would change a lot of how it's actually played, but I'd be curious to see how. You might see more blocks, might see more scrappy play, more hustling, diving for balls, stuff like that. Could make it a little more fun. Yeah, I I dug in a little bit. So the average height of a Division II basketball player, or the average height on a Division II team, is six foot three inches, almost six foot three or four. And then the average height of a average height of a Division three basketball team is six foot two, almost six foot three. So it wouldn't be too much of a change. Um, I think most division two or division three point guards are probably running five, 10, five, 11, just depending on how good they are, I guess. I mean, I don't, I wouldn't, I don't think there'd be too much of a change and it, it would bring in a lot more players. I think players would have inability to play in a division two, division three, maybe get a little bit more NIL money. I don't, I don't think it'd be a huge change for these colleges to institute it. Um, 
it kind of reminds me a little bit of Filipino basketball. Have you all seen a little bit of that? I mean, they're not the tallest group of people. They're working that ball around, yeah. They're, they're always working that ball around. There's a lot more passing involved. And it's actually kind of fun watching Filipino basketball play because they rely heavily on just passing. They basically just pass it into the hoop. Um, I mean, I, I think it'd be fun. I, I'd be curious to see, you know, how that would affect. I, I don't know. Well, I think there's two ways we look at this. One is we look at it from the player standpoint. What we're doing for the players is we're making an opportunity for shorter men to play college basketball. If you have to have one five foot nine player on the floor at all times, then you don't have to be afraid of playing a five foot seven guy because a five foot seven guy is going to be playing against a five foot nine guy. It's not you're going to have small guys playing against uh, big guys. They're, they're, uh, their opponent is going to be similar sized. From a competition standpoint, I don't even think you would notice this rule. Uh, the, they're probably playing people that might be under six feet anyway in those positions. In a lot of ways, you just give an opportunity for a good high school college basketball player who's not tall to play in college. And I don't think you really take anything away from the competition because again, both teams have to have someone on the floor that's under five, nine. I think there would be a little bit of scheming involved as well. Cause I feel like heights in not only college, but in the pros is so exaggerated. You know, somebody in college can be listed as six, five, and when they go to the combine, they find out they're actually six four, six three. Sometimes there's some fudgery going around going around with the numbers. I feel like there might be some of that going on with with this as well. That's just a concern. Well, there would have to be official measurements. Um, the person that this is going to hurt, and I don't know how to get around this, but the person this is going to hurt is the poor guy that's five foot nine and a half inches, because he doesn't qualify for this rule which means he's going to have to be out on the floor and there's also going to have to be a five foot eight or five foot nine person on the floor with him. Well, they have to wear a special jersey, like it'd be rainbow color or something. Or like in volleyball, you got the Ribeiro, now you got the short guy running around with the long sleeve jersey on. <laughs> yeah. In a way, I, I don't even think you would notice, but maybe you do something with a numbering system. Maybe, maybe, uh, you have to if you have a number that starts with zero, it means you're less than five foot nine. Yeah, and this is a little tweaking of your proposed rule, but it would it would be fun if there's like a height cap where all the heights on the floor, if if it reaches a certain height limit, all of them combined, you that'll like that has to be the max. And if so you you're have, saying go ahead. You're saying you set it at 30 feet, and you can have 30 feet of basketball players. And you can get them with five players or six players, or if you have short enough people, you can get them with seven players. <laughs> right. And imagine that full court press. That's press Virginia to the extreme right there. And then if you have a a certain floor, if you add a, if you add a, the minimum, you can add a sixth player that has to be five foot five, and they can be your sixth attacker, but they can't shoot the ball. They can have to be like an extra defender. Okay, well, let's go back and vote on my official rule, not this modified rule. So the rule we're voting on is for Division Two and Division Three, 
uh, you have to have one player five foot nine or under on the floor at all the time at all times. Okay. Campbell kick us off one to 10, no sevens, no sevens. Of course, that'd be, that'd be too easy. I think I'll give this rule a solid five just cause I don't think it's going to change a whole lot, especially for making the sport more fun to watch for the viewer. Um, so I think a five is a fair, fair rating for me. I will give it a six. Like Campbell said, it wouldn't alter my viewing activities. I do think it would be easily implemented. There wouldn't be much change. I feel like teams could easily do this without too much of a hassle. But again, it it wouldn't make me watch it more. So I just give it a six. Yeah, I want to give this a ten, but I've now I've now created a concern in my mind that we're really penalizing that poor player that's five foot nine. Again, I don't think this would really change the way this basketball looks. It would give an opportunity for shorter players to play, but it probably really, really hurts that guy that's five nine and a half or five ten. Um, so I think I'll only give it an eight. Okay, so that would be six point three. Well, that doesn't make our eight limit, so we can't send this to anybody. But I'm not sure who we would send it to anyway. We'll just keep it ourselves. Okay, we will take a brief break, and when we come back, we'll play a fun little game called Three Rules and a Lie. Parker, want to find an all-you-can-eat breakfast buffet? Yeah, let's eat at Shoney's. Shoney's, when it comes to waitress uniform, we really do believe one size fits all. Okay, we are back to play fun little game called Three Rules and a Lie. This is how it's going to go down. I'm going to list off three rules, one at a time. One of these rules is not a real rule. You guys are going to have to discern which rule is the lie. I'm going to read them all three. I'll let you guys think about it, maybe talk amongst yourselves to see. And then we'll go one by one to see who thinks this certain rule is a lie. Fair enough? Classic. Give them to us. Okay, here we go. This one is in baseball. If a pitched ball lodges in the umpire's mask and remains out of play, all the runners advance one base. (laughs) Second rule. In women's gymnastics... You will be deducted a tenth of a point if you pick or adjust your wedgie. Jeez. (laughs) Third rule. If any legal pitch touches a runner who's trying to score, that runner is out. I'll list them one more time. If a pitched ball lodges in the umpire's mask and remains out of play, all runners advance a base. In women's gymnastics, you'll be deducted a tenth of a point if you pick or adjust your wedgie. And lastly, if any legal pitch touches a runner who's trying to score, that runner is out. Okay. I'm trying to think of the scenario where a pitch would touch a runner. This is only happens when somebody's stealing home or something? Yeah, it's going to be that- elusive stealing mm-hmm. home. That's all I can think of. Well, I know what my vote is. My vote okay. is that the the baseball lodge to the umpire's mask is not real. Okay. Campbell? You know, 
I'm really hoping it's not the gymnastics one, but I have a feeling it is. And if that is true, I'm going to be so sad for those poor girls because, I'm, man, I couldn't imagine. So I'm guessing gymnastics. Okay. The rule that is a lie is if any legal pitch touches a runner who's trying to score, <laughs> that runner is out. That is the lie. The rule is if a legal pitch touches a runner who is about to score, that runner scores and everybody else who is on base gets to advance a base as well. How about that? Wow. How come more people don't try to steal on home then? Base is loaded. I'm stealing home. That's what I'm doing. I'm trying to get hit by that ball. This, From a practical standpoint, this is impossible, right? <laughs> I mean, how could you get to home plate before the pitch gets to the catcher? So I think they're talking about if, obviously, if somebody's stealing from third going home and the pitcher just hits the guy, he's safe. Yeah, and everybody I mean, else gets to it. advance a base. But the only situation I see this happening is if you got like a – you have to have a left-handed pitcher who's pitching from the stretch, who's totally oblivious to the guy that's leading off third by 30 feet. And as soon as he goes into motion, that guy's taken off and running right into the ball, right? I mean, that's the only way this happens. That makes you, that makes you wonder, would it be against the rules for – the home team to have a giant mirror above their dugout so that the pitcher <laughs> could see what's going on on third base. But that, that rule that you were talking about, JJ, if it gets lodged in the mask, um, I've never seen that actually happen because most of the time it's a foul tip and it gets stuck in somebody's mask. But if it's if it's the batter remains at the plate unless it's a ball four or called strike three – but if the ball just – the batter doesn't swing at it, the ball just lodges right into the umpire's mask, and it stays there, lodged, out of play, um, all the runners advance one base. I've never heard that known. before. I feel like if that actually happened in a gameplay, I feel like that pitcher is going to get ejected. Because, I mean, I feel like that's a pitcher and it's that <laughs> catcher, like, you know, trying to coordinate, like, oh, we're mad at this umpire, so let's throw this ball straight at his face, you know? <laughs> that has that has I've seen that happen, and then in women's gymnastics they have a specialty sort of paste or some I don't I forget the the term they use, but they have a special substance that they put down in those regions that prevents wedgies from happening because if you adjust your wedgie, you get deductions. So there you go. Another week of us solving women's problems. We're just going to become more and more popular. We will take another brief break, and when we come back, we will discuss the differences in the XFL, NFL, and USFL rules. Stay tuned. Parker, what you eating? Oh, this is Kellogg's Sugar Smacks. They are super high in sugar. Kellogg's Sugar Smacks. Smack me and I'll smack you right back. We are back, and we are going to discuss the difference of rules between the NFL, XFL, and the USFL. How are some of the same? How are they different? And how it affects their game. So, I'm going to start with a rule that the XFL and the USFL have in common, and that is their extra point system. 
So the XFL has pretty much come out to say, even though they haven't said it directly, that they kind of want to do away with kicking and how kicking affects the game. And so with extra points, instead of scoring a touchdown and you get to pick whether you do your one-point extra point kick or your two-point conversion, instead, when the team scores a touchdown, they can go for a one-point conversion from the two-yard line, a two-point conversion from the five-yard line, and a three-point conversion from the 10-yard line. Thoughts? I think that's awesome. I have been saying it for a long time that I think that field goals, extra points, all that jazz, I think it's kind of boring. I mean, every now and then you get the nice, you know, ice to kick or you get a big clutch from like, but these these are all field goals. You know, I'm thinking strictly extra points here. And I think every time there's a two-point conversion, I'll tell you what, I'm on the edge of my seat. So if I'm going to see that every time, I'm hooked. I'm glued to the TV. I'll watch XFL. Well, I like the idea of a three-point opportunity. And I agree. Extra points are so automatic that they're kind of boring. To me, field goals are still exciting because sometimes they're long and sometimes they get missed. But extra points aren't. So I am a fan of what the XFL is doing here and the USFL. And the the other reason I like it, of course, is it gives you one more point you can use to catch up if you're behind, which means games are closer. So if there were a red zone for the XFL or the USFL, when they say they're um, two scores behind, they could be, what, uh, 18 points back and still be only two scores behind. And I yep. like that. Nine-point swings. All right, JJ, you have the next rule? Yeah, the next one we're going to talk about is the overtime rule. Of course, we know what happens in the NFL. They just play an extra quarter, or I guess a reduced extra quarter, and they've got specific rules that each team has to touch the ball unless the first team scores a touchdown. And it works out just like they continue playing football. So what the XFL does is they simply go to a shootout where each team gets the ball on the opponent's five-yard line, and they have three attempts or three downs to get it in the end zone. So essentially, they're getting the football on the five-yard line, and it's second down and goal. And they keep going back and forth until one team doesn't make it. And whichever team doesn't make it loses the game. That's exciting. Feels a little bit like college. What the USFL does is even more interesting. They have what they call a true shootout. So you get the ball on the two-yard line. You have one play to get it in. Then the other team gets the ball on the two-yard line, and they have one play to get it in. And they do that three times for each team. And at the end of, I guess, the sixth try, when each team's had three team, three tries, whoever's ahead wins the game. So you could miss your first one and get your second two and still win the game. If they're tied at the end of that, then they just go back and forth until somebody doesn't make it. If you were the Philadelphia Eagles and you have that play that they use now where they grab their quarterback and they just push him across the line, seems like you're at a huge advantage with the USFL rule because you're guaranteed to get two yards every play. Anyway, both of them are, I think, more interesting than the NFL. What do you guys think? Well, I I think the USFL did it right. That, as a big hockey fan, having a shootout style overtime is way more fun than having a quarter where they just play more football. 
the shootout style. Okay, you miss it, but that's okay. You can still play defense. All right, round one's done. You get it. Next team. All right, round two. That That is way more fun than playing a whole other quarter and then ending up in a tie at the end. I, I love that rule. I think so too. And I think it's kind of becoming my mantra on this podcast, but I guess my whole thing is more scoring, more fun for the viewer. And this is six more attempts at scoring. So that's mm-hmm. six more places that I get to have fun. And I, I hate to even say it, but when you were reading that rule, JJ, it kind of reminded me of the uh, football across the pond. I'm thinking this is a penalty kick out in the old European soccer mm-hmm. or football, whatever you want to call it and hockey, whatever you think. So I, I like this idea. I think it's fun, better than uh, the extra quarter of potentially scoring or no scoring. Sorry. It opens up the coach's playbook as well. Cause you know, they've always got coaches always got a separate little playbook of tricky, tricky, sneaky little plays where they want to implement, but they're too scared to, they, they don't want to be too risky. This would be a, the perfect place to implement these cute little plays in the, in the overtime shootout. Get some Statue of Liberty plays. Okay, we're not really going to vote, but let's vote on this. Who likes the USFL's rule better than the XFL? I like the USFL rule. The USFL rule better. Yeah, I, I agree. Way better. I'll put, I'll put my fruit in that basket. I'm, I'm with that rule as well. Okay, your turn, Parker. So the infamous double forward pass rule, and this is a rule that is shared by the XFL and the USFL. So the rule is a team can complete two forward passes behind the line of scrimmage. They cannot throw a second forward pass after the line of scrimmage. So as long as the ball hasn't crossed the line of scrimmage, you can have two forward passes. Once the ball has, once the ball has passed the line of scrimmage, again, there are no forward passes that are permitted. What are yours? What are you guys' thoughts? Well, Parker, I was I was going to bring the hammer down on this because I misunderstood this rule. I thought they could have two forward passes, period. And hmm. to me, that sounds like Hawaiian flag football. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to bring up. <laughs> I could just imagine if that rule were permitted, people can't drop off coverages to go tackle the guy that's got the ball because you've right. you've, you've got to keep you've got to keep covering. So I am glad. The rule is not the way I thought it was. So in a lot of ways, this is just like the NFL rule that you can throw a pass across the field as long as it is behind. You're throwing it, I don't know what the term is, downfield or back backwards a little bit. It's a lateral. Yep. But now you can do the same thing and just throw it forward as long as the guy's behind the line of scrimmage. I think this is a good rule. This is an improvement over the NFL, and I'm sure glad it's not the Hawaiian flag football rule that I thought they were creating. I mean, I think it's also a pretty, it's an interesting rule. I think in my mind, I'm having trouble of seeing real world applications of it. So I'd have to watch some XFL games to see how they utilize these plays and what they're getting out of it. Because in my mind, it just seems like what you said, we already see in the NFL, we lateral to some guy and they throw it down the field. But I'd be curious to see what they concoct on their offensive schemes because it's a fun idea, but again, until I see it happen in person, skeptical, but I like the idea of it. I wonder if this would make the Music City Miracle a legal play. Um, I, of course, am a Titans fan, so I like to think of it as a legal play anyway, but it wasn't. <laughs> it was a forward pass. <laughs> yeah, we, we would see a lot of, you know, that little pitch forward, the runner cuts in front of the quarterback and a shotgun. 
he kind of pitches it forward, which is technically a forward pass. So that person catching the ball, whether that's a running back or a wide receiver, they can now throw it forward past the line of scrimmage again if they if they wanted to. I think that's the type of things that would come out of that. I see. I, see. I like it. That's a good rule. What we got next, JJ? We're going to talk about the kickoff. And Campbell, I did watch an XFL game. I actually watched their championship game uh, oh, yeah? this last weekend. And the most interesting part of it was the kickoff. Yeah. The kickoff, there's some interesting things about the XFL kickoff. I'm going to talk about the USFL kickoff first because it's simpler. Again, the, the NFL, if you'll remember, in 2010, they moved the line that the ball was kicked from, from the 30-yard line to the 35-yard line. What they were trying to do was make kickoffs safer because they wanted more touchbacks. When what they got was more touchbacks. And touchbacks are boring. Yes. But kickoffs are inherently dangerous. People running at full speed into each other, they get injured. I don't remember the numbers, but the proportion of people injured on kickoffs is higher than any other play, substantially higher than any other play. So the NFL was trying to make it safer, and what they just did was make it boring. The USFL essentially said, okay, we're going to make it exciting again. We're not going to make it any safer. They took the kickoff. The ball is placed not at the 35-yard line. It's placed at the 25-yard line. So now it doesn't reach the end zone, and they get returned. There's a few extra rules, but they're probably not worth discussing. What's really interesting is what the XFL has done. And I am going to put a link in the show notes to a video where you get to see this happen. And it is pretty cool. Here's what happens on an XFL kickoff. The ball's kicked from the 30-yard line. The ball has to land. I've got to get this right. Well, before I I tell you where it has to land, it's kicked from the 30-yard line. Mm -hmm. It has to land beyond the 35-yard line, but not in the end zone. So they're trying to just plop these things in there. But this is this is the super interesting part, and the part that makes it fun and and safe. So the defense, or I should say, the receiving team lines their team lines up on the thirty yard line. The kicking team lines up on the thirty five yard line, only five yards away from them, and what? no one is allowed to move until the ball is caught or it's on the ground for three seconds. Okay, that's pretty cool. So what happens is you have, and the other thing that's kind of interesting, there have to be three players outside of the hash marks. I guess it would naturally be that anyway. But you have two lines of 10 people lined up five yards from each other, standing there waiting for the kick to come down. If the kick, and this is where it really gets crazy. So, So what happens in that case is if, if the guy catches it, as soon as he catches it, everybody can start moving. But now everyone is spread out over the entire field. So they have not been able to essentially collapse on him as they're running down the field. So he's suddenly facing a lot less people and has a much, much better opportunity to make a big return. Yeah, so essentially they're just taking the collisions out of it. Just having them line up so close to each other, they just automatically start blocking each other without the collision part. Yes. See, in my head, this was happening like a um, like a rugby scrum. I imagine just like a bunch of brick house offensive linemen out there 
just facing up, you know, nose to nose with each other. And as soon as that one wide receiver, especially team guy catches the ball, I imagine just like, you know, just hitting face on. But I guess the way you're describing it is different. And I hadn't thought about them being spread out over the whole field. I misstated something. They have to kick it between the 20 yard line and the end zone, not the 30 yard line in the end zone. So they have this small zone they have to kick it in. If they don't make it to the 20 yard line, it automatically moves to the 45 yard line of the kicking team. That's where the ball is placed. This is a huge penalty. If they kick it out of bounds, it goes to the 45 yard line of the kicking team. And I saw it happen twice in their championship game. Also, and this is, this is a little bit strange. They have, they have a touchback called a major touchback. If the ball's kicked into the end zone, okay, I guess I said that wrong. If it doesn't make it to the 20 yard line or it goes out of bounds, it goes to the kicking team's 45. If it goes into the end zone and it can be downed by the receiving team, the ball moves out to the third, their own 35 yard line. If the ball bounces through and goes through the end zone, that means that receiver is not the, the catcher is not able to get it, and it goes out the back. Then it only goes to the fifteen yard line. So there is an enormous amount going on with this kicking rule. A lot of intricacies here. Yes, there are. It's a lot more value in a kicker too. You got to have someone that could just boom, put it right where you want it. That's exactly right, and not kick it out of bounds. Yeah. Well, so what do you guys think? I Campbell, I think you brought up a good point actually, because in the past you wanted your special teams to be big, but also fast that are good blockers. I think with this, you can actually throw out your, your big offensive lineman out there and just have them grab hold of people. Now, obviously not holding, but they can, they can move some bodies out there if they're just lining up 10 yards away or five yards away. I like it. I think I like it at its core. I think there's a lot of moving pieces in it. And again, I'm a visual. I'm kind of like a caveman sometimes. Unless I see things happening, it's hard for me to imagine. So maybe shame on me for not watching the kickoff closer of the XFL games. But again, at the core of this rule, I enjoy it. It's a refreshing change. It's a it's a safe way of having more action. Well, I encourage you and I encourage the listeners to watch this video that we've got linked in the show notes. It is it is pretty cool. I'm going to say the USL, USFL rule is bad. It essentially just puts people at risk for more injury, probably a little bit more exciting than the NFL rule, but still a bad rule. I think the XFL rule is vastly superior to either the USFL or the NFL. Well, all righty. Those are the four major rules that we have compared and contrasted between the NFL, XFL, and USFL. Let us know in the comments what you guys think of these rules. We will take a brief break, and when we come back, we will dig into some emails, and I think you're going to like these. Stay tuned. Parker, did you get a new car? Yes, I did. It's an Oldsmobile 88. Oldsmobile. Even today, there's still room to do it in style. Alrighty, it is time to dig into the email bag, and I am excited for these emails, especially this first email. This one is from Joey from Nashville. Boys, here is my idea. It might not be a fully original idea, but my idea nonetheless. 
At the end of every NFL season, the NFL team with the worst record plays the previous year's XFL champion. If the NFL team loses, it is relegated to the XFL, <laughs> and the XFL team is elevated to the NFL. That would make for an exciting high jeopardy game. Joey from Nashville. Thank you, Joey. Well, there's a, there's a practical part of this. First of all, the schedules don't even line up. Worst NFL team is going to play their last game in January, and the XFL <laughs> championship isn't determined until May. So I don't even know which XFL team they would play. Maybe they play last year's champion and then immediately have to turn around and go play in the XFL <laughs> six weeks later. It's a funny idea. It's not practical. It would never, ever happen. I guess the other thing that I think is worth noting, I think the worst NFL team would beat the best XFL team by 60 points. I don't think At it least. would even be close. Uh, yeah. Remember, these are all guys that couldn't make the third string on an NFL team. And They're mostly there the practice more, squad. There are more coaches in the NFL and more coaching time in the NFL. This wouldn't even be close. A lot more resources too. But what I kind of to to help Joey out here, you know, it's what it's what makes March the best month in sports. You got mm. thirty two games a day that are must win games. And anytime there's a must win game, people tune in to watch. Doesn't matter if it's you know your sixteen seed versus your twelve seed, people are gonna watch it. So if you got worst NFL team versus best XFL team, even if it's a forty point game at halftime people are still going to tune in to watch because must-win TV. That's must-see TV. I, I agree with you. I think people I think people like to see a beatdown. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's what this would be. This would be a ratings machine. Yeah. Everybody would tune in to watch this. Everybody. I, there's always been that discussion of, would Alabama beat some yeah. major worst NFL team? I mean, that's always right. been the <laughs> debate. And I think this would put it into real life in a – Heck, I would watch it. That'd be awesome. Well, I think uh, I think this year's Georgia team would beat the XFL champion. Um, again, I think they've got more coaching and more resources than the XFL has. Thank you, Joey. Appreciate that. Our next email is from Tyler. He writes, My whole life, my dad has mentioned two rule changes to the MLB that would cause him to watch every game of the season. Those rules are, if the pitcher hits the batter while pitching, the batter is out. And two, if the batter gets on base, they are allowed to take the bat with them and do with it as they please. <laughs> Curious to hear your thoughts. Thanks. Tyler from Maryland. Thank you, Tyler. I got to start by saying this is something, no offense to my Maryland people here, any Maryland viewers we have, but this is just a Maryland type of activity, taking a baseball bat with you <laughs> around the basement. It's a northern now. thing to do. I mean, this is, yeah. A crazy idea. I don't even know where to begin to unravel that one. I mean, could did the fielders have anything to defend themselves with? Can they carry it back? Can they have two gloves? I want something <laughs> out there. I'd be terrified. I guess, Tyler, I do want to, I do want, I'm a little worried about you. I think your father was probably a violent man. And I, <laughs> I hope you're getting the therapy you need to get through this. But we don't want to ignore anybody's ideas. So I'm going to tackle the first part of this. I tried to see, is there a way that you could actually let the pitcher hit a player and get them out? And I think for this to really work, there has to be some jeopardy for the pitcher. So here are my thoughts. What if you had a rule that the pitcher 
could hit a batter as long as he hits him in the strike zone. So from the shoulders to the knees, and he can only hit him with a pitch that's going no faster than 65 miles an hour. So (laughs) this would only work in leagues where you have radar guns. This means the pitcher slows down and tries to hit the batter. Now to put some jeopardy on this, that's the purpose of the 65 miles an hour is to keep the guy from getting hurt. To put some jeopardy on this, if he hits the batter anywhere outside of the strike zone, so if he hits him in the neck or the head or hits him below the knees, the guy goes to third. If the guy can get the bat on the ball, he doesn't have to hit it anywhere, but if he can make the bat touch the ball, he also goes to third. So this gives the batter, and I guess the other thing is the batter has to be allowed to step out of the batter's box to do this. So if the batter can get the bat on the ball, he gets to go to third. So there's some jeopardy here, and maybe it would be an interesting play. I'm imagining a 3-0 count. The pitcher's had a rough outing. It's a 3-0 count. <laughs> a bad day. And he's just, he, he calls up the catcher. He's like, listen, man, I'm going for it. I'm doing it. The catcher's like, no, don't do it. Please. It's like, no, go, go back there. And he's just trying to calculate in his head, all right, 65 miles an hour, maybe a little curve to it, hitting him right, hitting him right in the tush. Oh, my gosh. That'd be insane. I like you to see a lot more breaking balls just coming way off the zone, coming up that oh, yeah. side, like you're saying. A little slider. I, I like the second part of this email. Um, if the batter gets on base, they're allowed to take the bat with them. And I'm I'm thinking similar to you, JJ. I don't know if something happened to this guy in Little League where he had some <laughs> trauma and he was on first base and the guy that was batting took the bat with them and maybe something happened. Maybe there's a situation there. I don't know. But I was thinking a little bit differently. You don't take the bat with you. What if if you get on base, you can take like a glove with you or something and you're you're the fielder for your team. And so if you're leading off first base, you got a glove with you and your teammate pops the ball into the infield. If you got a glove, you can catch it. Yeah. If you can catch it, <laughs> if if you can catch it, then you're the batter who hit it gets to go to first base and you get to advance a base. Or if you want to keep the bat, and if you're leading off first base, maybe trying to steal second, the pitcher tries to do a little pickoff move. That's the pitch. And if you've got a bat in your hand, that's the pitch. You can swing at it. You can maybe try to angle it towards the outfield, maybe go for a home run. And that's the play. So if you if you hit it, it's it's on. You've got to run to second if it's in play. I think that's a better idea. I don't know. What do you guys think? I, I personally, you know, I like, I like to your last point there. <laughs> I just imagine some guy trying to get picked off from first and, this guy with his bat just waiting for it, just boom, launching it. This He's just laying guy. a bun down. I, I'd be hysterical, man. I would love, I would love to see I, that. I, I like, I like the idea of two guys going for the same ball. It's kind of like a rebound in basketball. <laughs> They're both jumping up trying to get it. He's just running into the outfield. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Take it one step further, and if the guy that was on base catches it, you know, he has to. He can then run the bases until the other team tackles him or gets the ball from him. <laughs> if he gets the ball back. They have to remove the glove from the guy. <laughs> well, Tyler, thank you so much for this email. I've uh, I enjoyed researching that myself. 
We want to vote on that, actually. <laughs> well, yes, I need some opportunities to vote some low numbers because everyone thinks I always vote tens. So I'm going to give a, a, a one to both options on that. Oh, come on. <laughs> I'm going to give my first 10. I love the idea of having a glove. If you're on first base, you're leading, you're leading off a little bit. You got a glove. You're just you're waiting for a ground ball. You can make a diving play. Just throw the ball into the outfield. You know, oh, I think I like if that. this was for um I think for the for the MLB, I'm I'm airing with JJ here. I'm going I'm going four. If this is the Savannah Bananas though, ten out of ten. They need to do these tomorrow. They need to do these today. They need to do these forever. Because this is must see TV again. Savannah bananas should definitely do this. I think it's an average of five. I don't think we send that one off. Okay, that's fine. Thank you, Tyler. That is going to wrap today's episode. I want to thank Campbell for joining us today. I also want to thank our sponsors, Shoney's, Sugar Smacks, and Oldsmobile for being partners for today's show. We need your help to make the competition committee a community. Please text a few of your friends a recommendation and a link to our show. It's easy. Click the three dots in the upper right corner of your phone. Select Share messages, type the name of three friends, and ask them to check out the show. That's all it takes. Thanks for joining us this week, and look for our new episodes each Thursday. I don't know his name, but his face sure rings a bell.